Welcome to Gritty Girls, the podcast. I'm Jillian Christie, and my passion and calling is really all about helping as many women realize that they have a scalable superpower, grit. If you're into hearing from badass, world-class women who just happen to be top chefs, athletes, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, artists, and activists on how they achieve their loftiest goals despite their greatest life challenges, then you don't want to miss the Gritty Girls podcast. Your journey to get inspired by phenomenal women around the globe and to learn how to cultivate more grit in your life starts now. When Kate Davis was only 24, she decided to quit her stable job and follow her sense of adventure all the way to Cambodia. She was unaware that what she was about to experience would bring her that much closer to her true calling. The events that played out would change her world forever and send her on a lifelong journey and mission to empower women all over the globe. Yeah, so my name is Kate Davis. I'm the founder of Collective Humanity. Um, Collective Humanity is a nonprofit organization that is working on economic empowerment for women in Cambodia. Um, gosh, where did we where did we start? How did this start? Um, I guess the business itself really started um, after I was, so I started, um, I moved to Texas from uh, New England right after college um, and started a career in digital advertising. So I was in advertising sales right out of college, um, right into the corporate world, you know, um, kind of that traditional path college to corporation and um, pretty quickly just really burnt out and realized it wasn't for me. Um, and, you know, I'd kind of done well for myself to that point. I was 24 and I had hit some kind of mile markers of success um, and kind of realized like, this can't be it. This can't be everything. Um, convinced my then boyfriend, now husband, um, to quit his job and I quit my job. And we decided we would take off four months, um, sell everything we owned and live out of a backpack and go pack uh, backpack Southeast Asia. So um, off we went and it was my first time out of the country, believe it or not, which is crazy to think about. Um, and I landed in Vietnam uh, in Saigon and um, just that first experience, like stepping off the plane, I knew that, you know, my life was going to be different. It totally opened my eyes to the world, um, to all the different cultures, just to everything that's out there. Um, and really the space that we occupy in the world as Americans and um, especially that of privilege of where I grew up and um, kind of just my place in the world. And so on that trip um, was exposed to all different, you know, walks of life, all different cultures was all over Southeast Asia. Um, but my time in Cambodia really stood out to me the most. Um, and it was one night we were um, walking around the streets. We were in Siem Reap, we were visiting Angkor Wat and, um, we are walking around, it's a really touristy area in downtown Siem Reap. And a little girl came up to me and she was probably, gosh, like five years old. Um, and she, you know, didn't have on any shoes. Her clothes were all kind of worn and tattered. And, um, and she was holding something, but I couldn't see what it was. And she just came up to me and was tugging on my shirt and saying, can I have $5? Can I have, can I have money, money, please? I need money. Um, I need to buy milk to feed the baby. And, you know, just kind of stunned by the whole scenario. Um, and she leaned forward and she was actually carrying, wrapped in a blanket, she was carrying an infant, um, like newborn infant baby. Um, and so 
just kind of instinctively, I think I was just looking around for her parents. They were nowhere to be found. Um, and I looked up at, at Paul and I just was like in shock and just didn't know what to do. Didn't know how to help. Um, I knew that if I gave her $5, like that was not going to make an impact really in her life. Um, and I just wanted to understand really from that point on, like why this was a reality for young girls. Um, I think my naivete at the time was such a blessing because it, um, it really shocked me into action. Like I was just so appalled by what I was seeing that I, um, started to research and learn about the genocide. I started to, that happened in Cambodia. I started to learn about, um, economic kind of environment for women there, um, the oppression of women, just all of the issues that, uh, Cambodia face in, in this post-war, post-genocide era of rebuilding, which is currently where they're at, um, came back to the States after that backpacking trip. And that moment just stayed in my mind and stayed in my mind. And um, I was actually at an outdoor shopping mall right upon returning because we had broke, uh, you know, dropped one of our iPhones in the water at one point. And so we were at an Apple store getting our phone fixed. And um, I was just kind of like stunned by Western consumption because I had been in, in such a different environment for so long. And I just was watching everybody, you know, walk around this outdoor mall, spend all their like hard earned money. Um, and I just kept thinking about that little girl and thinking like, there has to be a way to leverage this like cons American consumerism um, and capitalism so for the benefit. Incredible. And how old were you again? You were 23, 24? I was 20, well, I turned 25 on the trip. So 24, 25, yeah. That's, yeah. It's, just, it's a, it's beautiful story for someone so young to have the foresight to, you know, even, even be pulled by that and then called to do what yeah. you, with it, you know, you know, looking back, I think, um, I was at, like, I was just young enough to still be kind of wild enough to think like, Oh, I can just start a company then and, and help people. And I didn't have a ton of financial, like we didn't own a home. We, you know, I, I didn't even think I owned a car at the time. So there was really nothing, um, standing in my way and I had come back we had quit our jobs and we had really nothing when we came back so coming back essentially to start over and at that point I couldn't imagine going back into the corporate world I was like I have to do something um and work with these these people that I met and so I really um just honestly was like I'm gonna do something to work in Cambodia but I first need to like understand what's going on there so I just a few months after being back I bought a one-way ticket back to Cambodia um and just went back and started learning and researching and just studying as much as I could about the NGOs that existed, the for-profit social enterprises that existed, and just trying to find my place in the mix of it all um, and come up with where I could make the most meaningful impact. Wow. Incredible. And and now, and I mean, first of all, the the beauty and the blessing of young fearlessness, right? Like if we all yeah. had the foresight to do the thing when, we, when we're when we so filled with that fearlessness, there, there's something beautiful about being young and doing the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and now, so, so you went back, you mm -hmm. were there alone. I assume Paul did not go with you. Yeah. Okay. And now what, what happens? So I had um, kind of, you know, coerced a couple of my friends into coming with me on that trip, uh, convinced them into like, just come and, and learn with me. And so they stayed for a few weeks and then um, left after that. And I um, 
basically went to understand, I wanted to, I was going to understand human trafficking because that was really the issue that presented itself as like the most obvious is why a lot of young girls are out on the streets begging for money is because it's forced labor. Um, their only other option is really um, to enter into sex work at a really young age or some type of bonded forced labor situation. Um, and so I went to understand that and was, um, kind of learning about the NGOs that existed or the organizations that existed there on the ground doing that work and um, didn't see that as an area that I wanted to jump into in terms of like rescue work or um, there's just a lot of nuance with that and a lot of kind of complications ethically and morally surrounding that uh, for me. So I, um, I knew like for me, it became kind of obvious just my time there meeting people. I was like, okay, what is the root cause of all of these issues of, of human trafficking, of, um, bonded labor of poverty, like it really comes down to just not having um, income and not having the ability to find dignified work. So it's, it's so simple. It's like alleviate poverty, just create jobs. Um, it really did become that simple. And there, everything feels like it's even more simplified and obvious. Um, so I just started reaching out to people who were working to create meaningful jobs um, in Cambodia, like kind of alternative forms of employment where women could work um, you know, decent hours and be paid fair wages. Um, and there were a few organizations that were popping up. Um, Penn Len is a jewelry designer there that I learned a lot from right away. They totally took me under their wing and just helped me figure it out um, regionally. And then I reached out to a gentleman I met on Facebook. Um, he was hosting like an artisan event. And I reached out and was like, okay, this is all fair trade artisan work can I come and meet you? And he was like, yeah, come, you know, whatever. Um, he's a, a Cambodian gentleman. And right when we met, it was like kismet. He had been looking for somebody um, to like, he had built kind of this whole weaving collaborative of women. And he um, was looking for a mar like market access really in the States. He was looking for a partner to help with distribution. Um, and so we're sitting there talking and he was like, you know what, just come with me, come and meet these people. And then you'll, you'll know. And so 24 hours later, I'm in a car driving eight hours. We're on like an overnight bus to Siem Reap from Phnom Penh. And then we're in like a car driving, you know, eight hours into the country, basically to the Thai border. And um, there was a moment where I stopped myself and I was like, is this the craziest thing I've ever done or the best thing? Like, this is either going to be the best or like worst thing I've ever done. I don't know this man. Like, and um, it turned out to be the best. He's now a business partner and uh, we he's help. still in, does he live in Cambodia? He lives in Cambodia, yep, him and his okay, family. cool, wow. Yeah. And this is, so fast forward, mm -hmm. um, well, I guess, I guess let's talk a little bit about what the women are creating, right? They're creating yeah. these textiles, these gorgeous throws, accessories, I mean, pillow shams, I, I don't know if that's, that's yeah. the right term for what yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> that they're creating. Um, I even see earrings, I mean, they're just, it's gorgeous. Um, like, like, tell us a little bit about that as well. Like, what are they creating? Yeah. And how has that evolved over the past, like, eight, yeah. eight years, 10 years? So, yeah. So, he, um, so it's actually only been, like, th three years, four years? Oh, three. So, it's like, like, developmental. Yeah. <laughs> At that point. Um, yeah. It overnight. That's, that's does, it does not happen overnight. That has been, like, my biggest reminder of all time, especially lately. Um I guess it's been four or five years now. I'm like, I lose track of time, but yeah, it's been like four years. Uh, he, so uh, Chob Nob is my business partner in Cambodia. Um, and he basically had um, 
lived and worked in this weaving village, which is in a really remote part of Cambodia. He's Cambodian himself. He grew up in a rural area. Um, and so he um, lived out in this weaving village and he was working at the time for a Japanese NGO that was working to help revitalize the rice harvest after the genocide. And um, this is a rice village. So it's like rice fields along all sides. And then in the middle of it is this community where the families live. Um, and all of the women in that village are traditionally weavers. And weaving has been in Cambodia for centuries. And so... Um, of, of the women there. The what? Uh, an ancient art of the women there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's passed down mother to daughter generations dating back to like ancient times. Um, and there would be this silkworm weaving that was a really indigenous part of their their culture. And they, um, Chabnab lived there to help them kind of revitalize that trade. He was saw the need and he saw these kind of broken down looms and he thought like, we can, we can help. We can help you kind of relearn the skill that had kind of skipped a generation if some of them survived, but the majority of weavers weren't able to teach their kids or sustain that during the genocide because it was a massive war that broke out and they were really in a war in that region until about 1993. Um, and so the art form was really almost lost during that time. And this was one of the like oldest villages that, that um, did it. And so he was like, okay, I can help, we can rebuild. He um, basically started retraining all of the weavers on a more modern like design and aesthetic um, on just different patterns, new patterns, incorporating traditional patterns. Um, and introduced cotton instead of silk because the silk production's very expensive um, and cotton's produced just over the border in Vietnam. And so started weaving these throws um, and was really just, that was kind of where he was at. And then we met and he was like, you know, I have these, these beautiful textiles and we need to get them out there to the world. Um, and so that's where I was like, okay, I can definitely, that's where I can help. Um, and so we started collaborating on design. Um, you know, I was like, can we make one in black? And he was like, absolutely not. Nobody will buy a black throw for their home. And I was like, Americans absolutely will. <laughs> it's like our bestseller. So, so uh, just like little trying to, you know, take a Western aesthetic um, and in, still hold those traditional patterns um, and just incorporate them in some way. So that kind of led us to where we are now, which I think is a really nice blend of kind of modern Western design and um, ancient kind of traditional techniques. So I mean, gorgeous products for certain, like very chic, very uh, comfortable as well. You know, it's just, they're, they're amazing. I have, I have one that I love and it, it there is black in it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's, it's so incredible. And, and, like we were talking about time flies, right? And it doesn't happen overnight. So what, what did you, like how did grit play a role for you in those years of, of developing and then, you know, working through maybe the kinks in the beginning to getting to where you are now? Um, how did that play a role in like getting here, right? That Yeah, um, yeah, it played a major role, I would say. Um, gosh, I think back to grit and I think, for me, like I learned, it's a part of my, when I say it's like my favorite part about myself, it's such a foundational part of who I am that I, I didn't knowingly take that into my work. I just, when reflecting back on it, it was like, wow, that was a major part of what um, has helped us sustain and grow and evolve. Um, for me, my first kind of like, when I first developed, I guess, my grittiness, um, when I was 10 years old, um, my dad committed suicide. And so subsequently around the same time, my mom began um, a relationship with a woman. And this was in 
1999, um, pre kind of the world 2020 world we live in now, which still isn't a safe and accepting place for LGBTQ uh, community, family, individuals. Um, and this was kind of back then when I had to watch them. It was just a lot going on in my life at a very young age. And I had to watch my family kind of undergo a lot of public scrutiny. I was at the same time internally struggling to figure out to cope and make sense of what had happened with my dad and understand really big issues like depression and um, just concepts that a 10 year old doesn't typically, I think, grapple with. And I think back to that and how that translates to what I do now and like how that foundation was laid for me to really learn how to persevere and learn how to survive amidst um, adversity and challenge and struggle, um, whether internally or like externally, like on a societal level, life's going to require you to kind of grit your teeth and hold true to what you know is, is true and what you value and push forward and push forward and stay true to yourself. Um, despite what people might be saying, despite what um, kind of the world might have you believe. And so, yeah, it's like, it's a foundational part of, of the work I do. I look at now, like traveling all over the developing world. And I've realized I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable, mm. um, which is definitely required when it's like 107 degrees with like, you know, insane heat. And you're just like in this van with a million people with no air conditioning, driving out into the, these rural communities, totally out of the American context of what we could like, how we get around and um, our mode of normal. Comfortable. Comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, like, I think that takes a certain level of grittiness and it takes, um, and then I like entrepreneurship on top of that. Like it's a roller coaster ride. Like it is like up and down. You, are const I always say like you're constantly faced like you're meeting yourself at every turn so if you're not getting somewhere and you're a solo entrepreneur like you're the only person standing in your way and if you're not like hitting goals or doing these things that you want to do um it's and it's not easy to look at yourself you know to look right. within and hold up that mirror and say like okay where do I need to push myself how do I need to work harder um and I see that like in business, like what, what you're talking about to your point is, you know, self-development and growth is directly proportionate to the growth of your business, right? Like you said, like you can't be in your way. You got to get out of your way. You got to maybe accept the things, whatever it is you're dealing with to like move forward in life and in, in entrepreneurship for certain. And like being so young to develop grit as you did. I mean, and that's something too, I think is important to talk about is, is it's a, it's a learned behavior really it's a oh, skill set and um i think you know it's important to, to teach people that as well or to to let it be known because um you can increase your grit right and okay. and it, it just so happens you know unfortunately unfortunately at such a young age you developed that mm -hmm. um and and it really brought you to where you are now in in yeah. such a beautiful way in such a very introspective way so it sounds and um it's, it's amazing. And I love, I love the grit about you too. That's my favorite part about you as well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely, a, um, it's definitely a learned skill. I think it's something that you can, uh, you can, it's really, I think of it like being thrown in the fire, right? Like once you know, you can walk through the fire, like there's very little that you fear on the other side of it, you know? And I think that's really where the grit comes from. It's like, ah that experience of like diving into something, whether that be entrepreneurship or that be a really challenging young experience. 
you know, like that struggle and that, um, that journey is where you're like, when there's no choice, but like, there's no way out, but through, that's how you kind of develop it is right along the way. Totally. Absolutely. And that's, and that's so, um, it's so true too. It's, it's, you know, if you reflect back, oh, well, I've been through these things and I survived them and I was, I'm okay. Everything's okay. Like, it's just a, a constant reminder too, of how not our past identifies us, but how our past has built us. Um, yeah, it's so important. I, I, I guess too, and it's, it's so amazing. Like I was saying, you're so introspective and you've seen that from an early age, you've seen like that it was developing within you. Um, and you're very aware of it too, hmm. which is awesome. What, what would you tell Kate <laughs> at 17 years old? Uh, what would you tell her, uh, you know, considering all the wisdom that you've gleaned up to this point in your life, mm -hmm. um, what would you tell her? What kind of advice would you give her uh, to move forward? Gosh, 17. <laughs> Break <laughs> up with that boy that you're dating. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, out of a lot of ages, but that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> 17 was a rough one. Um, I, gosh, 17, like I think about the, the kind of mile marker, like circumstances or things that really impacted and changed my life. And at 18, I guess, like the biggest one, I guess I would tell myself, like as cheesy as this might sound, like you're about to meet the love of your life and the foundation that you feel like was kind of pulled out from under you in childhood is about to be rebuilt by the two of you. And um, it's from there, really, you're about to achieve everything you ever dreamed possible and a lot of things you never even dared to dream of. Um, and yeah, your life is gonna be like more wild and adventurous and unpredictable uh, than you probably could have even imagined and bigger and um, more true to you than the state you're currently living in at 70. <laughs> so it, it, that's beautiful because it, you know, it goes so many different ways. And that's such a, a beautiful thing to say to your 17 year old self is everything's going to be okay. Everything's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. And relax. like the struggle, the struggle is serving you, I think is uh -huh. a big one. Like the struggle that you're going through and all the things you've dealt with, like they're serving you and they're preparing you. Um, for what's ahead. And I think without a lot of the challenging times in my life, I, I think those are when, like you said, I developed my grit. Um, I developed my capacity for empathy. Um, I developed all these things that now, not only do I just love about who I am, but also serve me so perfectly and, and so wonderfully in the work that I do, which requires so much empathy, so much resilience, so much grit and determination. Um, so yeah. kind of 17 was really going through it. And I think I would just say like, keep it moving. <laughs> I, I love, love, love that advice. I think a lot of, a lot of us at that age could, could have used that, but it's, yeah. it's definitely, it's a beautiful thing when you could be aware of it and, and give that to your younger self. So oh, that's yeah. awesome. Um, also like speaking of resilience, you, you brought up resilience, um, which is a big part of grit mm. as well. Um, you know, it's in that, in that pie piece, in that that pie chart of grit. Um, is there, has there ever been a moment in this entrepreneurial endeavor that you've taken where you're like, man, I just, I don't know if I can do this right now. <laughs> this is a lot. There's a lot happening. I can't, you know, have you ever had moments like that? 
you know, I will say um, there has never been like, I, I, I was thinking about this earlier. There's never been a moment where I've said, I want to quit. Um, and I feel deeply blessed to be able to say that, but I think that is because I am fortunate enough to have found like my life's work at such a young age. And so the connection that I feel to it, really the connection that I feel to this community of people that I work with, um, is what sustains the moment of like, what is going on. So I will say, and knowing them and knowing the commitments that I've made, there's no way I could fathom saying even like my mind wouldn't even play that trick on me. I think at this point to say like, Oh, you should back walk away now. And COVID has certainly been a test of that. Um, Like all of our, our entire production line is stuck in a warehouse on a border because it can't get through. Like there have been so many challenges. um, But I, I, can't ever think to myself like, okay, I could quit because I know this is what I'm meant to do. Um, there have definitely been moments where I've said like, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> I've been like, what, if, what are you thinking? Like, how are you ever get the word out there about this? How will you get people in the States to care about this community of women and halfway around the world? Um, which is, a, which is a great point, right? Because resilience and grit, it's not, it's not all the time, uh, referring to the outside factors, it's a lot of time, you know, what's going on in my mind? What's holding me back? And that's, you got to be resilient against those, those negative thoughts that'll inevitably come into play. Totally. Um, that's yeah, so I think cool. that's been probably the biggest area I've had to face resilience and, and grit in, in entrepreneurship has been just the internal dialogue. And a lot of that is created from external input, but like the, how you'll internally start to doubt yourself and just wonder like, like, am I crazy? Is this, is this going to be real, you know? And then, uh, that, that definitely takes some resilience. And I think looking outward and like reaching out to your community, for me, it's the trap, the perspective that travel brings. Like every time I'm in Cambodia and spending time with everyone there, like all my doubts are completely gone. I'm like everything they've lived through, everything they've seen. Um, like I know we can we can achieve this and um it just reinstills such a sense of purpose that I'm like okay nothing is going to stand in the way of our success um and then other entrepreneurs who have done it like the founder of Spanx she's really encouraging just like her story like I listened to her and I'm like all right her living room you know like everyone thought yeah there was a time when everyone was like that's weird you know that's a weird (laughs) idea and like who doesn't who hasn't thought of where it's being? That's also a nice thing to remind ourselves of too, of, of you know, and this is kind of why we're do, we're doing Gritty Girls, right? That's why we're getting our stories out there because not not just ourselves, but other people have looked at our quote unquote like insane ideas and look where they've come because of someone's belief in themselves, belief in in what they're doing. Um, you know, you you're serving people. I think I think that lends itself to just such a higher purpose than yourself, and that that helps that grit factor too. I can't I can't give up on these people that need me that that I've been helping um, through like what I've been called to do. Um, you did bring up COVID, yeah. Very strange time in the world. Very lots of emotions, lots of thoughts there. Um, and you mentioned your inventory was kind of locked up in the warehouse. Like, how has this this pandemic really been affecting uh, both operationally and like mentally? Like, how are you doing with with your people, with yourself, the products, yeah. the things? You know, it's been crazy. I was in Cambodia the whole month of February, um, and then I 
flew home. Um, I land, I was back home on March 1st and I, you know, self quarantined cause I did fly through Hong Kong. And so I was like, I, at that point that wasn't even a factor in the States, but just knowing the reality of what they were already dealing with in Cambodia, cause it was so much closer to them. They were taking it very seriously in February. Um, and so I self quarantined for two weeks and then like March 11th was my birthday. I was like, okay, I guess I can like go to dinner. I'm going to go out into the world. And then that was the day that they were and like, no, yeah. Go back inside. Oh, um, so it was crazy. It was, that was crazy. Yeah, happy birthday. Back inside you go. Um, so it's been it's been interesting. Like we had um, our largest shipment to date, like of um, production. So we have a studio in Phnom Penh that um, where all of our like finishing touches get put on our products, and then everything's shipped out from there. And it's often routed through Vietnam. Um, and so the day we sent the shipment through Vietnam. Um, Phnom Penh to Ho Chi Minh or Phnom Penh to Ho Chi Minh is like three hours. So within three hours of our product getting across the border to Vietnam, Vietnam closed its borders. Oh, wow. um, and so everything was stuck, is stuck, I should say. Yeah. Um, we had half the shipment that was still on the border that finally came back to the warehouse last week, to our studio last week. And the rest of it's in a, in a logistic, like a shipping warehouse um, for a shipping company in Vietnam to be released like we have no idea. Um, so that was alarming. I think initially too, my first kind of reaction was like that happened immediately. So I was like, okay, what do we do about the product? Um, and then it just felt like we, there, we couldn't do anything. So we just had to say like, okay, what can we do to sustain work? Um, all of our reverse work from home. We closed down the studio. Cambodia did close, like shut down for a couple of weeks. Um, it was right around their new year when they typically close for two weeks. This whole country kind of shuts down anyway. So that was happening. Um, and my thought was like, okay, we had been fundraising before this to bring a wash station into the village. Um, so in the village where our weavers work, um, they always request that all the, any profits go back into education programs for their kids. So we've been working really closely with the school. We had just sat down with the principal like February 28th or something to sit down with the principal and had a conversation about like his needs and, and bringing in a water and sanitation hygiene station. So what it is, it's like really a place where the kids can wash their hands at school essentially. Um, Cause they don't have running water. They don't um, have any access to soap, clean water. There's no education around hygiene. So nobody knows to wash their hands um, and there's no place to do it if they want. So that suddenly felt like immediately necessary that we get that to the village. Um, so we were able to get, soap and wash buckets to our weavers and kind of do our own little education program because the schools were closed so they weren't able to do it there and we're still in the process of fundraising for that um but that was kind of a shock to the system of like oh my gosh everyone's like wash your hands for 20 seconds wash your hands for 20 seconds and it's like they don't they, they there's can't. places in the world where people don't have access to water you know totally, totally. such so, a good point too just such like you know, it's, it's one of those things, like we were talking about the, the culture difference and, and mm -hmm. of course, like here we are in the States and, you know, we're so lucky to have just all the things at our fingertips. And I think a lot of us don't even think about those things like, oh, mm -hmm. can't, I can't wash my hands. There's no running water. There's no clean water. There's, yeah. uh, you know, all these things. So that's phenomenal that you, you were already doing that. So it's yeah. kind of serendipitously kind of installing yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's interesting. They, um, I think that, and then also realizing like, okay, if, so they don't have anywhere to like practice high, good hygiene. And then if they 
don't have the anywhere to do it or the education around why that's important in a time like COVID it, it's so insane really because they're they're also the communities that are like the farthest away from any type of real health care so right. if anyone were to get sick like it's just it was a whole um scare it was a very scary time I will say that um and then all of the western like every western staff was like all the Australians that were there were forced to go back to Australia all western NGOs started shutting down and aid is a large part of Cambodia so a lot of people that I work really closely with whether like through collaborations or different projects or just like on an advisory level um, started to have to shut down operations domestically, like in Cambodia and then leave. Um, and so I started to really worry about the economic impact that was gonna have. Obviously tourism is a huge thing in Cambodia, like a huge part of their um, economy. Yeah. And that's, I was watching that stop as I was there, like people were sort of coming in and um, the streets were more and more empty. So. There was a lot of fear, I think, in the beginning, just like for everybody, like what's to come. Um, and what does the future look like? Like what's what's yeah. happening? What I know, I know you're like when you're out there, you already had some wheels moving as far as like an education program that you're working mm -hmm. with the school. Your I don't know if new products were kind of coming out too. Yeah. I mean, that probably all t took a standstill, I'm sure as well. Yeah. Um, but like so, in this time, especially in this time, I guess the things that you were working on, the new projects, perhaps, like how has that affected those and what, what are they in the first place, I guess? Mm -hmm. And then um, where do we stand with those? And, and do we see the future? Do we see the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, um, I will say, yes, we definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm so happy to say that now. Um, <laughs> there was a point where I didn't know what to do, really. I was just like frozen. Um, the where we were before was fundraising for education programs. And those are kind of a variety of different programs, teacher trainings, um, different incentive programs to really get the teachers in the village um, to the level that they need to be to educate this next generation. Um, book drives, like um, different, like complementary programs, like the wash station, integrating that into the school to help with absenteeism, like all these different things that we were working on um, within this larger kind of compass of education programs, the schools closed and like, that was all, that is all halted. Um, and because we don't know what it's gonna look like once they fully reopen, I think that that's, we're still kind of waiting to see how that plays out. Um, the product side, like we have a ton of new products. Um, the women are able to still weave because they had all the raw materials already and they're doing that from home. We just weren't able to distribute, um, like get those products to the studio and things like that. That's a little bit harder, but they are opening back up. so. They will be able to get those. Um, in that interim period, we actually received a grant um, to make face masks with our extra scrap oh, wow. fabric. Um, so that was amazing. Like I just think the the community that um, the international like artisan handmade kind of community really rallied around each other. And we had um, some of our larger wholesalers reach out and just say like, what can we do? How many can like pieces can we buy? They're not open. They're here in the states. They're closed. But they're like, we'll just pre-order for who who knows when. And which is pretty wild and fat like in a fashion you know, in retail industry, because you're buying for seasons and not knowing what season you're going to be selling because you don't know when you're going to open, um, was really just like amazing to see people come together and just say like, we're going to buy it. We're going to figure out how to sell it. Blankets are pretty, you know, you can sell those every season. So, um, depending on the climate. So 
that was really uplifting and awesome to have people kind of just rally around collective. And it spoke a lot, I think, to the community that we've built. Um, when was, are you going to have all winner? I know you talk about the studio and that's in, yeah. in Vietnam. When are you going to be able to get them finally to the yeah. States? Do you, do you see that happening soon or? I don't know. <laughs> that depends on Vietnam. Um, yeah. So if, you know, the prime minister, president, whatever would like to open the borders, that'd be lovely. Um, but that we're just, to me, like the stress of that kind of went away as we started to, um, we started to say like, okay, what are the, if we can't pay for production and we can't pay our weavers a salary because they're, they're not able to produce anything because our cotton also comes from Vietnam, say that all has to stop. Like, what is the number? How much do we need to be providing them with just supplementary like emergency funding? Um, kind of similar to what our government did with like stimulus checks and things like that. We were thinking, okay, how do we give them just like make sure that nobody's going hungry and everyone's healthcare and everything's covered. Um, and so we started pulling an emergency fund for that and reaching out to donors and doing sales on our site for, through our products, um, which has honestly been some of the best online retail sales we've had since we've started. Um, That's collectivehu.org, correct? Collectivehu.org, yes. Awesome. Um, so yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And I'm, I'm sure, do you talk about all the, uh, the, you know, the educational work you're doing on there as well? Yes, we are starting to like promote that a little bit more. We were kind of in the process of building those programs and then the pause button was hit. Um, so there's not a ton of information on the site about those, but um, there is kind of a basis of, of what we're doing and, and why we're doing it and what's necessary. Amazing. Yeah, I would just, I would want everyone to know, A, go to collectivehu.org and see these textiles because they're gorgeous and it's such a beautiful uh, way to like sustainably you know, empower this community, the, the women, and to give them these jobs that they, you know, definitely are stoking up their economy on their own terms in, in essence. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's amazing. I completely uh, adore you. But on top of that, I mean, I 100% admire you and what you've done, especially from such a young age. So incredible. Um, also, also, I would want everyone to, to know about collective humanity underscore is your Instagram. Yeah, that is our Instagram. That's probably the best place to find us, interact with us. We're on it Instagram. Is, it is such a, such a storyboard too. It's really cool. You can really go there and that's where you can, you can learn the story of collective humanity and see these women there. There's, they just look full of joy. Amazing. Yeah. And then yeah. all the products, of course, too, you can, you can check those out and, you know, order directly from Instagram, right? Yep. Awesome. That's so cool. Um, I do have one more question for you before okay. we go. Okay. Who is one of your favorite gritty girls of all time ever? Oh my gosh. One of my favorite gritty girls all time. This is a tough one. Let me think. <laughs> okay, I'll just tell you the first person that came to mind um, would have to be my mom. Ah, love it. Yeah, I think my mom is just so, that's where I learned a lot of my grit. Um, so willing to just like roll up her sleeves, get her hands dirty um, and just like persevere no matter what. And the second person, I guess I thought of, if I can say two would be our lead weaver, Net, um, who's mm -hmm. just overcome more than I can even imagine in her life and just works so hard for her kids and to give them a better life and to give them education and access to opportunities. Um, so yeah, both, both are mamas. So Net, Net and my own mom. I love those. Those are, those are beautiful answers and they came straight to you like right away. <laughs> I love that. So you said net 
What's her Net. name? Yep, Net. she's our lead weaver. She's all over our Instagram and our awesome. site. You see her. I've probably seen her. The big, amazing smile. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that so much. Um, Kate, as always, you are one of my favorite people in the entire world. And thank you so, so much for coming on Gritty Girls and sharing your incredible, incredible story. Um, and you never know who's out there that really needed to hear, you know, what you had to share. And I'm just, I'm so grateful and um, inspiring us to, to keep moving forward with, with perseverance and passion. I love it. <laughs> this has been Gritty Girls, the podcast you come to for your dose of badassery and inspiration from some of the most influential, accomplished women on the planet. Please subscribe today. I would super appreciate it. I'm Jillian Christie. This is Gritty Girls, and we'll see you next time.